It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good morning. Hope everybody is uh, getting ready for the holidays. We have Passover and Easter converging uh, once again. I love that when that happens. I don't know. It's just it's just combined with spring, although it's really cold if you're in the Northeast today. It's like crazy cold. Uh, but I don't know. And coming out of quarantine, I don't know. Things things are looking up at least. I'm 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 not an optimistic person, but I'm feeling kind of good. I'm actually feeling kind of good. So this is this is a good thing. Uh, lots in store for you on the show today. Want to start out this morning. With Kevin Cork, Fox News White House correspondent. Find him on Twitter at Kevin Cork. Put an E on the end of Cork there and you'll find him. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, my friend. Happy Friday. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. You got to love Friday. It's so funny. I had this conversation. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I remember listening to my grandparents talk about how every time time goes so fast. It goes so fast. Where's the time go? Time goes so fast. And as I got older, I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're right. Except the weird thing is there's like this dynamic that happens when you hit Tuesday that Friday takes so long to get here. But yet the years go by super, super fast. But the weeks just drag till you hit to Friday. (laughs) It's interesting if you think about it. I kind of liken my life to when I was a kid, I was just kind of like walking. And then when I got to be in my 20s, I was kind of like, hey, this is kind of fun, light jog. 30s, I was finally running, really doing the thing. The older I get, I feel like I'm in a grocery cart going downhill in San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like flying. I mean, it's April. If you think of it, after all we've been through – already this year and i just can't even imagine uh next year it's april so the year's flying by but we're making the most of it yeah i kind of thought with quarantine that it would go slower but um it is not right. uh, you know you look at the same four walls after a while you get up and paint them so that does help the time Amen. pass a little bit more quickly <laughs> um all right so the the biden administration seems to be running you know right from the get-go they seem to be you know just just at it they're at the atm they're spending money like there's no tomorrow somebody left the the, the bank vault open for them and they're spending money let's talk about this what is being called the infrastructure bill when only five percent is being spent on roads and bridges. And I know that question is being asked of the administration. How are they spinning this and selling this to actually be quote unquote infrastructure? What's the message from them? It's the same exact playbook that they used during the first stimulus, the $1.9 trillion so-called COVID relief uh, package. It actually had very little to do with COVID relief. If you really dive in, and this is the the danger of living in a town like Washington. I actually sit there and read these things and I go through them and I say, well, this isn't terribly much about COVID, to be honest. You know, $350 billion to state and local governments has nothing to do per se with let's get money into the hands of the consumer. I would rather take that $350 billion and start writing checks to Americans who've been impacted, which is to say all of us. If we're going to spend the money, why not give everybody a $5,000 check instead of 1400 Why not give everybody a $10,000 check instead of 1400 especially considering we gave $12 billion to foreign militaries, okay, in that first stimulus? 
So my point is you're going to see sort of the same playbook, and this is not the last time you'll see this. If you look at what's actually in this bill, as you point out, it's really not terribly much about infrastructure per se, but it's aspirational. And really what happens in Washington is you do things when you know there are no consequences. And so if you know you have the power, you're just going to run up you're just going to run up the score. And that's what they're effectively doing here. They're saying we want to invest heavily in green energy, green technology, uh, electric vehicles, et cetera which is a laudable goal. However, if you think about what infrastructure traditionally means, it's roads, bridges, ports, and uh, things like that. And it's really not about that. So they're going to spend as much as they can, as quickly as they can before the midterms. And that's why they're going to try to push this boulder up a hill. Now, part of this, too, I thought was interesting, and maybe you can clarify this for me if you know about it. They're apparently going to also tear up racist roads and bridges racist highways um so yeah, you know i my, my head spins because i really can't keep up with everything that's racist i, I pretty much come to the conclusion that it's just everything uh, in some way is racist what is up with t- tearing up a racist highway in louisiana that people actually use you know uh if you have a chance to watch tucker carlson tonight and i know you have to get up early because you do early early morning uh, radio and tv but Tucker does this uh, this thing on his show where he goes, racist! He kind of yells it like that, uh, which is his way of saying everything is that. And, and the truth is, if you've traveled the South, and I have, I've lived in Florida, so I understand that there are many names associated with what I would consider the old South, uh, Dixie Highway and Robert yeah. E. Lee, this, that, and the other. But the truth is, These, while some people find them offensive, they are vestiges of, wait for it, our history. This is part of the American history that some people still like to read about, like to investigate, and in some cases still celebrate. But what's happening now, if this this bill makes its way to the president's uh, desk, and he will certainly sign it, is they will absolutely uh, try to remove – some of the vestiges of what I consider the the old South, which will include highways, which have certain names, bridges that are uh, dedicated in certain ways. And what's fascinating about that is this. You can run from your history. You can try to erase your history, but it's still your history. And there are a number of Americans who feel like, wouldn't we be better studying it so as not to repeat the history that you think is offensive rather than trying to erase it and ignore it because it's still there. Well, then again, you do you do speak sense here, so that doesn't, you know, that's not allowed. But from what I understand, these, these highways are being torn up, not necessarily because of the name, but the one in New Orleans specifically goes through a poorer neighborhood. And so they're saying that it was put in that neighborhood because white people didn't want it going through their neighborhoods. So therefore, yeah, and they're doing that it's in Texas racist. Too. That's right, and they're using civil rights law uh, to do the same thing. There was a widening of a highway in Texas that the Biden administration is trying to stop. Again, they're suggesting that uh, this is a violation of the civil rights of, this, of the people who live in a particular area. And by the way, what's interesting about that is, again, you can make the claim of the motivation of a particular road or highway or bridge at a particular time in our history. But if you know anything about our country, neighborhoods change, <laughs> okay? A neighborhood that may have been 
uh, on the other side of the railroad tracks, per se, or may have been a bastion of a particular uh, culture in our country, that can be completely different, a, a completely different area populated by completely different people. So, yeah, they are using civil rights law to uh, try to uh, tear up some of these roads and bridges. All right. So, so let me let me ask you a, somewhat of a personal question. If you don't want to answer, that's fine. But if, for people who don't know, Kevin Cork is a person of color. Uh, you are a POC. Um, how, you know, given your views, because you are very well informed, so I would assume it's hard for people to argue emotion with you, of people on the left. What's mm-hmm. it like being in Washington, D.C., being a person of color, being informed and having the views that you have? It's it's I always point back to my mom. My mom passed away in 2016 and my mother was uh, quite liberal, very, very liberal. But my mother was, I believe, um, interested in politics and policy. And so we would have these wonderful conversations about why you think the way you think. And she never tried to sort of proselytize. She would try to poke holes in my argument, and I would do the same. And we had this wonderful relationship up until she passed away from cancer. And so for me as a person of color, um, I enjoy the idea of sparring and the, the battlefield of ideas. What I've learned, unfortunately, in Washington especially, and in many other parts of the country now, they just don't want to have the battle. They just yeah. want to shut you down. They don't want you to talk about what you think. They don't want to hear it. They just want to silence you because to them, the conversation is not warranted because they don't want someone to maybe, oh, no, if they hear you, they may agree with you. We can't have that. Right. So that's sad. That, that's a reality in Washington right now, and I think it's happening all over the country. Yeah. Well, your mom sounds like oh, she was a wonderful woman, and I probably would have had a lot of fun sparring with her as well. Uh, let, let's take what we were just talking about and take it take it to the GOP. And you had uh, Congressman Jim Banks write a letter to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and he sent this memo. And what he says is that Republicans have to embrace policies that are supported by working class voters if they want to flip the House in the 2020 uh, midterm elections. And I think he's onto something here because a lot of people of Color that traditionally vote Democrat down the line, always have, always will, have been doing it for 50 years, started to walk away from the Democrat Party with the advent of Donald Trump. And I think Democrats are well aware of that, and they're trying to stem the tide. Do you, do you see that in Washington, D.C.? Definitely. I have personally seen it and heard it in my barbershop. I go to what you would consider a traditional African-American barbershop. Uh, it just, it's in my neighborhood. It's not terribly far away. If I want to go in there and say, Hey, can I get a shit? Uh, can I get a, um, a fade? You know, the guy knows exactly what I want. He right. sees me all the time, but the conversation, uh, Mary, what, what I hear anyway is they, and they're talking about the government. They talk about us once every four years, they come mm-hmm. around, they sing, we shall overcome and they get our votes. And then not only do we never hear from them for the next three years, they're actually doing policies that hurt us. See, personally, and this is what I've heard, and this is, again, just a personal anecdote very quickly. I'm not competing with 100,000 people coming over the border every month. I'm not. They're, They're not competing for jobs with me per se, but there are a lot of people at my barbershop who feel like these are fat. These are uh, fellows that they didn't go to college. 
Okay, they don't. They're not hyper educated. They're out there. They're working hard. They're trying to make a buck. They're doing construction. They're doing this. They're washing dishes. They're they're just trying to make it, man. And to them, when you have policies that invite massive amounts of labor competition, it makes them look at the Democratic Party and go, "Well, wait a minute. You're saying everything's great for them to come." What about taking care of the people that are here, people like me? What about looking out for us to have jobs? Which is why when people like Tim Scott come up with opportunity zones and things like that, fellas notice. People notice these things. I'm not saying there'll be this massive sea change, but I think Democrats know they've got to be mindful of the girl who brung them. In other words, right. if they're not looking out for the African-American vote. Uh, and I thought they saw some fissures in that last year. They could lose it, and it may not seem consequential if you look at the demographics right now or maybe in the future. But the truth is there's still a powerful voting block, and if there's a wedge drawn or 10 percent or 20 percent start sliding GOP, it can change politics across the country. Interesting. Do you mind just hanging here so I can just ask you a couple more questions? Sure. Go ahead. Fantastic. All right, more with Kevin Cork coming up right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in, in Georgia and 40 other states. What it's all about. Imagine passing a law saying you cannot provide water or food for someone standing in line to vote. Can't do that? Come on. Or you're going to close a polling place at 5 o'clock when working people just get off? This is all about keeping working folks and ordinary folks that I grew up with from being able to vote. Yeah, that was the president talking about the Georgia voting reforms that they they seem they're going to put in place in Georgia. Kevin Cork, Fox News White House correspondent, here with me. Kevin, uh, the president keeps repeating these false claims. You had Jen Psaki doubling down on Biden's claims, and she seems to be repeating those false claims as well. Yet I noticed that in the White House uh, press briefings with Jen Psaki, you're getting reporters from other outlets asking her about this because the Washington Post came out and gave it four Pinocchios, basically said he's lying about this. This is just patently not true. Uh, what what they're claiming out of the White House uh, when you when you're with the press as your your colleagues there uh, is there some sense of okay we just can't spin this lie when the Washington Post comes out and says yeah this is this is a Pinocchio you know I'm glad you mentioned that because the truth is if you watch the press briefings ever and i understand a lot of a lot of people simply aren't watching them right now it, the numbers prove that but if you just take 10 minutes the difference in the way that jen Psaki is treated compared to kaylee McEnany or uh sarah huckabee uh is just striking to me i just the the, the tone it's it's so much more deferential and and the questions are slow and and almost friendly even, and it's it's really remarkable. So finally there appears to be a, a break in that logjam where people are starting to question uh, the veracity of some of the claims that are made from the podium. And, and as you point out, 
if the Washington Post, which is definitely uh, pro-Biden, uh, is, is giving him four Pinocchios, that should tell you all you need to know about the claim. Now, it's possible, and I always say this because I want to respect uh, all, the, all the public leaders that we have in our country. The truth is they're busy people. They make grand proclamations, and sometimes they just make a mistake. It's, it's innocent. It's possible, therefore, that he was told that by someone. He hasn't read the bill, but the truth is you and I both know it allows voting uh, well into the evening. If you're in line by 7 p.m., you can still vote regardless. Uh, if you want water, you can bring water with you. Uh, polling, uh, polling folks uh, can bring water, too. It's just that you're not allowed to actually get in there and campaign and go, here you go. I'm with the so-and-so campaign. Here's a bottle of water. And by the way, the label is made to look like a, a sample ballot. So uh, this is just not true, and I'm, I'm happy personally as someone – who's covered four administrations now to see people finally sort of shake it off and uh, drop the scales from the eyes and start poking holes in some of the false claims and frankly, just interrogating as you should with any administration. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need Jim Acosta back, right. To just debate uh, Jen Psaki. Uh, one more thing before, before I let you go here, cause it is Friday. I'm sure you want to get going, but um, I want to know if you've been bitten by major yet. <laughs> That's hilarious. Major, the uh, the the first family's dog. It's a German Shepherd, by the way. I grew up with German Shepherds. Uh, I loved our dog. Loved that dog. It was so smart, and it was a beautiful dog. And um, you know what? They can be feisty. And all I can tell you is, um, I have not been bitten by Major, but having been bitten by a dog before, it's not fun. And I'll just say this. All kidding aside. Everybody loves a dog. Everybody, well, no, maybe not everybody, but most people love to have animals around. Uh, but this dog obviously needs a lot more training. And until yeah. it gets the proper training, do us all a favor. Keep it in Delaware. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I get the funny feeling that Major's going to be going to a farm upstate. And, yeah, I, uh, I think so. Might be the wisest thing. Really quickly, before I let you go. I, I hope that next time we chat, we can talk about more about that, that voter law in Georgia and others that are springing up around the country. They're simply asking, in most cases, for just more integrity in election law, meaning yes. if the federal government won't make it mandatory to show an ID uh, to vote or to obtain a ballot, Kevin, some yeah. states are finally doing that. Kevin, we got to run. Thank you so much. Have a blessed Easter, and thank you for joining me here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Same to you. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good morning. Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. So uh, we were just talking to Kevin Cork, and we brought up the Banks memo. Now, um, Representative Jim Banks out of, out of uh, Indiana, he sent a letter to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. And in this memo... And, and, and Banks uh, chairs the Republican Study Committee. And in the memo, he details key issues affecting the working class, including immigration, trade, anti-wokeness, Main Street versus Wall Street, and big tech. And he also says, you know, he says these are things that the Republican Party can capitalize on. And I, th- I think he's right. I think the Republican Party can capitalize on these things. And he said and he also said in this letter that um, the president, President Trump, gave the Republican Party a political gift. We are now the party supported by most working class voters. The question is whether Republicans reject that gift 
or unwrap it and permanently become the party of the working class. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Do you, because when I read this, I was like, yes, yes, he's absolutely right. The Republicans, and you started to see it. And I do think that Donald Trump did tip the domino that he is the one who kind of switched the Republicans to from being the party of, you know, limousines and the fat cats on Wall Street and the stereotypes at the country club and all that kind of stuff to being the party that has the same values as working class America. I mean, Democrats have always said, we're the party of the working class. And and if you were listening, Kevin Cork was saying, yeah, but the neighborhoods like where, where he is, where he go gets his haircut, he said, you know, in the cities, the black neighborhoods, these people are starting to wake up and Hispanics are starting to wake up and saying, wait a minute, you know, they keep telling us they're going to do something for us, meaning the Democrats, but they don't. So do the Republicans have an opportunity here to embrace this, to kind of take the people away from the Democrat Party that the Democrats have been promising to help for 50 years and just come around and show up in a church and, and you know, preach during church, you know, could vote for the Democrat again. And you see these people in the same neighborhoods who are reelected for 40 years to represent these people and don't fix a darn thing. And I look to the White House, I look at the the president who has been a politician for almost 50 years and now was promising to fix everything. I'm like, well, what have you done for the last 50 years? And when I would ask my liberal friends, well, what did he do? Why are you voting for him? What did he do? They're like, he's not Trump. I'm like, well, that's brilliant. There you go. 866-408-7669 is my number. That's 866-408-7669. Is Jim Banks onto something here? Because I think he is. He also was smart enough to put in here things that Republicans can do because Republicans, I love them, but they're the party of, you know, oh, sure, I'd rather give the Democrats my lunch money than actually eat today. Uh, And they do that over and over. They're not they're not known for fighting for what they want. Democrats fight and they may fight dirty. And I think that they fight dirty, but politics is dirty. And I think when your enemy is fighting dirty, your opponent is fighting dirty, that you need to sometimes fight dirty, too, if you want to win. And I'm not saying they have to, they have to, you know, go beyond the pale, but I do think there are things that they can do. He notes that opposition to illegal immigration and increased legal immigration is a, is popular among both working class Amer- Americans and the electorate at large. And I think he's right there. And Kevin mentioned that as well. You have people in these working class neighborhoods who are fighting, who are working some of the minimum wage jobs, or maybe a little bit more. They work in construction. Maybe they're getting like $20 an hour, $18 an hour, something like that. They're starting at $16 or whatever. They're they're in that category. And that's where they're starting. And these illegal immigrants are coming in who will get working papers. They will be able to work, right? They're not citizens, but they'll be able to work because that's the Democrat plan. They're going to come in and they're going to work for less. And you're going to find Americans priced out of these jobs or their standard of living is going to go down. So who are Democrats hurting with this? They're hurting the people that they keep telling us they're helping. And this is something that Republicans can capitalize on and push because uh, Democrats are also pushing for more legal immigration, as are some Republicans. Republicans are not clean in this totally. All right. I think Mike Lee is one of them who who is all for more um, 
H1B, the H1 visas, you know, these, these visas where we bring people in from India is the, is the main one where we bring people in who have a college degree to do some of these tech jobs in Silicon Valley. And the reason they, the, everybody wants them, business wants them is because they'll work for less. They don't have to pay healthcare for them. They don't have to pay for, um, you know, the other, the other benefits that you get with a job because they're contractors. And then they bring their families in and we're going to give their families, their families are going to be allowed to work as well. So our American students who are graduating from schools in these STEM jobs and we're, we're pushing STEM, they're not going to have jobs to go to because we're importing workers from other countries who will do the jobs for less. 866-408-7669-866-408-7669. Do you agree that the Republicans have an opportunity here? There's a window here that they can embrace the gift that Donald Trump brought to them and started to unwrap and said, look, this is the way forward. This is the way to beat Democrats at their own game. He also talks about China. You know, Americans' opinions on China have changed greatly in the last two years. Whereas more Americans now see China as a foe, as opposed to a partner, as opposed to a business partner, we now see them as a foe. That number is now over 50% of Americans. That's big because you have big corporation and you have big tech embracing China. You have corporations like Nike having their totally ignoring the Uyghurs, right? You have them totally ignoring that. You have Disney uh, making movies uh, near near where the Uyghur camps are, where people are, where genocide is happening, right? Where women are being raped, uh, where you have them because they because they are a Muslim minority in the country and they're trying to wipe them out. That's being ignored because at the, because we want to benefit China. So I, I'm just curious to find out if you agree that he is um, on to something here. 866-408-7669. And also, do you think the Republicans are smart enough to embrace it? Because I don't know if they're smart enough to embrace it. That's one of those things. I, I don't know. But their opposition to China is, is in line with the working class. We like to call them the working classes um, views on China as well. And it's so funny because we hear working class and we, we assume that the only people who work are people who work blue collar jobs, which there are plenty of people who have white collar jobs who absolutely work, who work really, really hard. So, um, I, I, I don't know if we need another term blue collar workers, maybe, maybe, maybe look at it that way. Uh, because if you work in a corporation, your interests may lie elsewhere. He also talks about the wokeness of the Democrat Party. And he, he makes a really good point that wokeness and identity politics, um, those politics, are, those policies are anti-Americans and Americans see that. We see through this. The, the Democrats tell you, well, this is pro-Hispanic. It's pro-African-American. It's pro-LGBTQ. But what they really are, according to Jim Banks, they're anti-American, they're anti-woman, and most of all, anti-working class. You want to tell me that allowing a man who, who is biologically a man, and whether you like it or not, there are two choices when you're born. There, there, you've got two cho- chromosome choices, right? You're either chromosomally a man or chromosomally a woman. That's it. Now, I have no problem if as an adult you want to live your life as, as something else. You, knock yourself out. I, I, it doesn't affect my life at all, so I don't care. But when it starts to affect other people, I think your rights end where other people's rights begin. And you want to tell me that it benefits women to allow a biological male 
to compete in women's sports and get scholarships, especially at the high school level, and get scholarships to college because they're the fastest runners or they're the best wrestlers or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, because they're, they're biologically men. They have more testosterone. They have better muscle mass than women do. So, of course, they're going to beat the women who are the women who are biologically women. That doesn't help women. And I think women realize that. All right, we'll get your calls coming up. 866-408-7669. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good morning to you. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. And we were just talking about the Republicans and a a memo from Representative Jim Banks that he sent to House Minority Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, talking about how this this is an opportunity for Republicans to take back the working class, to be the party of the working class. And you're seeing this flip in this country. I I think, what is it, the top 27 out of the top 29 richest congressional districts in the country so the top 27 out of the top 29, I don't know why they didn't do 30. I thought that was weird, uh, are, are represented by Democrats. Democrats represent those, those um, areas. And I think a lot of the hypocrisy of the Democrat Party has really come to the fore with the advent of COVID. Right. Because who were the who were the telling us the most? You have to stay locked down. Which states were locked down the most? Which cities were locked down the most? The ones run by Democrats. But then what do we see? We see Governor Gavin Newsom, who has California still locked down. He's dining out with his friends at a fancy restaurant, French laundry that none of us can afford to even buy an appetizer at. Right. So and then we see Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, the mayor there. We see her going to get her hair cut. And what does she tell us? Well, I have to get my hair cut because I'm in front of the cameras. So in other words, I'm more, I'm more special than you are. Nancy Pelosi getting her hair cut and getting her hair washed and dyed and colored and, and everything else and blow dried and all this other stuff. And what was her excuse? Well, they told me I could come in. It was the salon owner's fault. Did you hear that? She, she flipped that. It wasn't my fault. I'm sure she does. So she doesn't even know she's so privileged. She doesn't even know the laws and the rules. Cause they're not laws they are just edicts coming out from these politicians. She does. She's totally unaware of what everyone else lives under the, the, you know, the servants, the serfs that live under me because I'm part of the ruling elite. We saw that. We see Andrew Cuomo in New York, you know, meeting people. He doesn't have a mask on with his buddies. We see Chris Cuomo breaking quarantine, going out to going out to the Hamptons. And it was happening all over the country. I think Gretchen Whitmer and her daughters were in D.C. for inauguration, right? Uh, but you're not supposed to travel if you're in if you're in Michigan. You're supposed to quarantine. Cuomo, when he traveled, he came back. I mean, he was asked, "Well, you're going to quarantine?" He's like, "Well, no, I can't. I mean, I'm a politician. I have things to do. You know, I'm way too important." So the hypocrisy of the left, I think, is really coming through. And people aren't stupid. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of people who are stupid. I mean, there are, and it's scary. And I know they vote. But we have to hope that even they, too, can see the hypocrisy. You're supposed to sit in your house in quarantine, but they don't. You had COVID. Do we all remember COVID hair? I remember COVID hair. And I remember cutting my husband's hair and he was, and and I actually did a very good job. Like I could have a second gig here just in case. Um, But, but I remember having to do that, you know, cut his hair and, and I wore ponytails for a really long time. And I actually had to break out the old hot rollers from the 1990s and, and put them in my hair because I was doing TV and, and try to try to look presentable. But while we're all dealing with COVID hair, Nancy Pelosi and Lori Lightfoot and a whole bunch of other politicians seem to look really good. 
How were they doing that? Oh, wait, now we know they were being big hypocrites. And he talks about this in this letter that Republicans should zone in on, he says, the draconian coronavirus lockdowns because of the small businesses. How many of us know a small business in our neighborhoods that have gone out of business and is never coming back because of these lockdowns? And at the same time, we're watching Democrats live their lives pretty well. It's like immigration, right? Nancy and, and, and hypocrisy on walls. You know, you can't have a wall around the country. You're going to have, we're going to have these, these illegals coming in. Do you realize they've, they've released more illegals into this country that we know these are illegals who were, uh, who were apprehended by border patrol and released into this country purposely with a promise that they'll contact immigration wherever they happen to go so that they can show up for their hearing to see if we're going to let them stay in the country four years from now, which is a joke. And we all know it's not going to happen more than this, this, the population of the state of Vermont in two months have been released into the, into this country in neighborhood near you, probably anywhere they want to go. Cause you pay for buses to take them anywhere they want to go. So that's happening. We're bringing these people in who aren't being tested for COVID, who is now the, and as the numbers rise across the country, we're told that we have to shut down, that your neighborhood business can't open, that you can't go have a drink in a bar next door. But in the meantime, Democrats are releasing these people into our country, no jobs, can't speak the language, most of them indigent, just have, you know, whatever the clothes are, the Biden t-shirt on, on their backs, right? That's all they have. But yet I have to starve and my family's business has to has to crash and burn and I can't pay my rent. So there seems to be a double standard here. And Republicans can capitalize on this. And and I think there's going to be more fodder coming down the road as we look at H.R. 1, which is supposedly, you know, the Voting Rights Act. We're going to protect people's voting rights. But if you look into this and you go to like the last hundred pages or so. There's a lot hidden in here, no surprise, uh, that I think a lot of Americans would not like if they actually knew it was in here. Um, you know, some of these things that that sounds good on the surface, but if you look at them, it's going to dissuade people from running for office, for instance. People who are really, would probably be very good, but are average citizens, maybe have a small business, maybe he's a doctor um, for once, maybe not lawyers. Someone who wants to get in into politics and maybe change things, who has a voice. But they want part of this on section and pay, section 10,001, Calls for uh, what they call tax transparency. So if you want to run for president or vice president, right, you have to have what they call tax transparency. And it would what it would require you to do, and this is because of Donald Trump, the last 10 years of income tax returns have to be submitted to the Federal Election Commission within 15 days of becoming a party's nominee. Those records then become public, like any report filed with the Federal Election Committee. Opposition research thing. Chinese can see this. Russians can see this. Former candidates, new candidates, all of Congress, anybody, relatives, anybody can see this. And that, and even if you're not elected, that's public forever. How many people who would maybe own a small business want to put that out there? To have it out there forever, for the rush, anybody to just walk through your financial records for 10 years. Who would want to do this? Uh, the IRS has those records. And I've long thought, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, I don't think it's right to demand that we get to tiptoe through your financials. I just don't think we should be allowed to do that. Because if you're doing something wrong, the IRS is going to find you. 
they will they audit people in a heartbeat and they'll 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 make grandma give up the gold in her teeth if she owes them eleven dollars, right? So if you're doing something wrong or illegal, I'm pretty sure the IRS is going to get you. So why don't we just keep it that way? And I think that most people who own small businesses look at this and say, yeah, why would I have to, why would I have to divulge this? So, and, and, and there's a lot more in HR one. And if Republicans are smart, which that's a big caveat, if Republicans are smart and they're willing to fight and you have some people in Congress who are willing to fight, you're seeing more of them, but if they're willing to fight, they can really make hay of this. And use this uh, to win back the blue-collar workers in this country and the quote even white-collar workers who work their butts off. Small business owners who work super hard to preserve what they have and build uh, a business that maybe they want to hand down to their kids. But Democrats stand in the way of that. So this is something to follow. And maybe this is something to get your representatives on to fight for you when it comes to these things. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, good morning to you, Mary Walter, sitting in for a vacationing Brian Kilmeade. Let's start off. Let's start off this hour with uh, former Georgia Congressman Bob Barr. Thank you for joining us, sir. Appreciate it. Mary, great to be with you. And, uh, you know, Brian's loss is my gain. Oh, I bet you say that to all the girls. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Only on Fox News. (laughs) Um, You wrote an interesting piece in town hall on COVID. But before we get there, since you are uh, from Georgia, can, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, the Delta and uh, Coca-Cola and all these other woke corporations coming out and just parroting the Biden administration lies about what is happening in Georgia to preserve voter integrity, to pre- make sure that every vote counts and that they're not diluted by signatures that don't match or people who are, you know, just dumping these ballots in these drop boxes and and, and what they're doing there. Georgia hitting back on Delta with the House saying that they're going to Gonna, they're going to go after the perks. They voted to go after the tax benefits that Delta gets in Georgia. And they said, we're going to rescind those. Will the Georgia Senate follow suit, do you think? I don't know whether they will or not. Uh, this came, The same sort of issue, Mary, came up a couple of years ago with regard to the NRA. And uh, some of the uh, so-called woke officials at Delta got upset with the NRA uh, and uh, said that they were no longer going to accept the NRA Delta credit card. Uh, and the legislature uh, fought back at them, but ultimately things smoothed over. Uh, I hope that the that our legislature does what our governor has done. I saw him yesterday, Brian Kemp, and he laid out a very convincing fact-based case as to how Delta and Coca-Cola not only were wrong on their interpretation of the new voter protection law, but uh, neither of the corporations even bothered uh, coming to the governor or the legislature while these pieces of legislation were being considered to object to them. So it's all politics. It's simply pandering to the woke leftist crowd out there. Yeah, it's exactly what's doing. And we know that I think it was a, a year or so ago where Coca-Cola you know, basically just came out and said that we're with China. And so we know where their um, where their 
loyalties lie. And with Delta, I laugh because they're, they were targeted by the woke crowd who said, we're going to boycott you. I think to myself, what are you kidding me? How, I, I, if you need to go somewhere and Delta's got the flight that's getting you from point A to point B for the least amount of money and the fewest amount of layover over, so it doesn't take 18 hours to get from, you know, at, Atlanta to Chicago, you're going to fly Delta. So I, I don't understand why of all people an airline would cow to this because they're in no position to be losing flyers from the other side. You know, it, it does. So a, a boycotting an airline, I always thought was kind of ridiculous because you just can't. It's it's ultimately pointless. It is simply politics and propagandizing. And you know, Delta ought to be ashamed. And there's no reason for Delta to be pandering to the left crowd. Yeah. Uh, Delta uh, has been in the forefront in recent years of instituting policies uh, within the corporation that are precisely what the left wants of yeah. uh, equity and diversion and so forth. Yeah, and if I boycotted every airline that sent me into therapy for one reason or another, I would I'd have to walk everywhere. You know, it's just, it's just not no, I mean, Delta, Delta is a great airline. I fly it all the time, not only since I'm here in Atlanta, but it's a, it's a, it has a tremendous safety record. They have good training and so forth. Uh, and it's just sad to see the way their, uh, their CEO uh, is pandering to this crowd. It's totally unnecessary, and it makes them look silly. It, are you happy with the contents of the Georgia voter uh, integrity bill? Uh, am I happy with it? Yes. Do you think it goes far enough? That, yes, it's better than what we had, and it does close some of the loopholes. I'm not happy with it from the standpoint that it could have been stronger. Uh, okay. They could have instituted more, uh, not impediments, but safeguards with regard to applying for absentee ballots. And the legislation did not stop outside money, such as the hundreds of millions that Mark Zuckerberg's foundation put into uh, electoral offices in Georgia and other states. I think that that should have been closed off, but they neglected to do that for some reason. Didn't I thought they put limits on it? Was that Texas? I think Texas is putting limits on the amount of outside money that can come in. Um, I, I think it was the Texas bill because Texas also is enacting a voter integrity uh, bill as well. Um, one of the things about the Georgia law is they are making those drop boxes permanent. And for me, I look at that and I think, you know, unless there's someone sitting here monitoring these boxes 24 hours a day, what's to prevent someone from dumping you know, 25 ballots in that box? There's nothing uh, that stops anybody from doing that. And this is a major problem for voting. You know, Mary, I've never understood why it is such a burden on people in this country, which we have done for decades, to have a voting day and you go to the polls on that day to vote. I never viewed that as a burden. I viewed it as a responsibility. It was sort of uh, enjoyable to do that and see people getting out. Uh, It's not a burden. And we've been making it easier and easier and easier. And whenever you make something easier, you also increase the opportunities for fraud and corruption. You know, absolutely. I think so. And I do think that um, that the population, the general public sees this. And and I think it's people also we we were just talking uh, about a piece that um, was written about how the Republicans can take back 
the the working class, like they can become the party of the working class in this country that the Democrats have taken advantage of for 50 years and just taken their vote for granted for 50 years. They, they show up in these black churches once every four years and promise them the sun, the moon and the stars and they walk away. And um, this is something that I think most people see through and say, you know what? This this is not right. My vote is being being watered down here for every illegal vote that gets through. That takes away from my legal vote and I lose my voice. And do you think that is something that Republicans will um, will, I guess, benefit from and will capitalize on? They should. Uh, but time and again, uh, you've seen it and I've seen it for far longer, uh, not, only, not only during the time I was in the House, but uh, ever since then, Republicans generally, with some exceptions, would rather settle than fight. They're not so like true. Chuck Schumer, who will fight over everything to make sure he gets the maximum power that he can. Republicans, more often than not, will back down and compromise and settle on these, on these key issues. Uh, this is, presents, as you say, a very important opportunity for Republicans to really start taking back uh, the, not control of the middle class, but the support of the middle class and middle America. And I hope they do, in fact, take advantage of it. But that's never a sure thing with a lot of these Republicans. They simply often don't have the backbone to do that. It, you know, it, thank you for saying that. It is so annoying and so frustrating for me because I, I always say Republicans are the party that, you know, walks into Congress on a daily basis and just hands the Democrats their lunch money. They don't even fight for it. They'd rather sit there with nothing to eat than, than fight for, for what is rightfully theirs or fight for something, at least the people they represent. And I'm hoping that President Trump has opened that door to them, that he has shown them how to fight and they can win. And I look at the Republicans that have come into the House in this last election, overwhelmingly women, which I thought was interesting. And also, to me, they seem to be fighters, that maybe they are less likely to be concerned with just being reelected and more, more concerned with doing what's right. Uh, at least that's what I hope, although I've been disappointed before, so it won't be the first time. And luckily, high school taught me to accept this. So being disappointed well, on a regular I, think, I think you're right in looking at uh, some of their or most of the new members uh, on the Republican side that came in uh, last year in the election. Uh, you know, they don't mind that Democrats and the left calls them names. Uh, that's like Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer doesn't care what you call him. He's going to fight for what he and his constituents want. And Republicans have to develop the backbone not to worry about what the New York Times or the Atlanta yep. Journal-Constitution calls them. Yeah. Now, I, if you wouldn't mind hanging on, because I would like to talk to you about COVID. You have an excellent piece in Town Hall, and I want everyone to read it, because what you're saying here, when I read this piece, I saw this yesterday. And when I read this, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so true. And you, you wrote about vaccine passports and the virtue signaling of all of this and how it could get out of control. So if you could just stick with me, I would love to give you more time to talk about this. Sure. Fantastic. All right. More coming up with Bob Barr right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector to impose upon you uh, the requirement that you show proof of vaccine to just simply be able to participate in normal society. 
You want the fox to guard the hen house? I mean, give me a break. I think this is something that has huge privacy implications. It is not necessary to do. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida talking about vaccine passports. He said they will not be allowed in Florida. He will not be following New York State's lead. Uh, We are here with former Georgia Congressman Bob Barr, who wrote a piece for Town Hall. And there are so many things that you said in this that had me cheering yesterday when I was reading this. um, Because you talk about how this is really a reverse scarlet letter. You know, instead of marking those people who don't have a a vaccine, we're going to give those who do... The, the ability to virtue signal, and they're going to get to go to special events. And if you don't have a, a vaccine, you can't go to those events. And, you know, you're not going to be able to fly and you can't see a concert. It's so, it's just so hypocritical of the Democrats to feel this way and, and then criticize Georgia's voting law at the same time, which requires ID. It, it is the height of hypocrisy. Not that that ever bothers the left, but <laughs> for those of us uh, who actually believe in rational arguments and who believe in consistency, uh, the hypocrisy is just glaring. The other, the day after President Biden blasts Georgia for simply requiring finally uh, an ID in order to obtain an absentee ballot, simply to protect the integrity of the overall vote. Voting process, he turns around and says, well, basically, we're working on an ID that will allow a person to do all of those things that we now, as citizens in a free country or a supposedly free country, normally do. It's hip- hip- hypocritical in the extreme. It is privacy invasive. And it institutes the sort of program, Mary, that once started will not go away. They'll find some way to continue yes. it even after COVID is under control. Yeah, and and it gives the left the ability to do what they love to do, which is virtue signal, right? This is what they love to do. I'm better than you. Look at me. I'm doing the right thing. You don't do what I do. You are somehow less holy than I. And and that's the idea behind this um, this vaccine card, I think, you know, to have to show your papers. I, I just look at this, and maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, as an entree into having to show your papers everywhere you go. The Chinese system of, of a social system, and you get points if you do certain things and you're allowed to participate in certain events, If you know, if the, the government wants you to do if you don't do them, you lose, you lose certain privileges in China. And maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, and maybe I'll be dead by the time that happens, God willing. Uh, but I don't like this at all, and I, I agree with you. This is never going to go away. This is something you're going to have to carry on yourself all the time. And unfortunately, uh, and this is not the first time I've had to say this, Republicans participated in setting the groundwork and the precedence for this. Back about 15 years ago, I think it was, with the so-called Real ID, uh, Republicans pushed this for security reasons for TSA. Uh, So many Republicans set the precedent for establishing an ID in order to, that would have national application in order to do or access certain things. And now they're using the left primarily, but they're using the precedents set by Republicans to make this uh, far more broad than simply a real ID to go into government buildings or get on an airplane. This will apply to virtually everything eventually that people do, going into a business, doing banking, going to an entertainment event, and so on and so forth. The end is, I mean, the, the list is endless.
Yeah, it, it truly is. On the upside, I live in New Jersey, and they still haven't gotten their act together with Real ID, so we we still don't have them. <laughs> Well, One Bi- of the Biden, of the- Biden is moving forward. He, uh, as you might have seen in the in the article I wrote, I mentioned something called a vaccine credential initiative that uh, is being implemented through the Biden administration. Despite the uh, their their public statements, we're not doing this. Microsoft and Oracle are working with them. Walmart and other big corporations are working with them. They are salivating at the prospect of being able to get and maintain databases that would be developed for the use of and implementing uh, such a COVID passport program. And I'm, you know what, but though I'm sure the government will keep our data safe. We have nothing to worry about. It's going to be fine. Yeah, they have a great record on that. Yes, they do. Um, just very quickly, before we, we only have a couple of minutes here, um, there was a survey that was conducted by the People's Vaccine Alliance, which is a coalition of over 50 organizations that include like Oxfam and African Alliance and UNAs. Um, and they surveyed 77 experts from across 28 countries. And these are people who are considered the world's leading um experts uh, um, when it comes to vaccines and immunology and and, and biology and things like that. And they predict that if you were that within a year, less than a year, that the virus will have mutated to the point where the current vaccine will no longer be effective. So if we go down the road that we're talking about here, how can we possibly keep up with keeping people vaccinated quickly enough to keep up with the mutations if your vaccine isn't even going to be good for a year? And if we're doing it for this, why aren't we doing it? Why don't we have a vaccine card for measles? You know, when you get on a plane, measles are, are communicable. Uh, for You know, for all these other diseases we get vaccinated for, why don't I ever have to show my papers about those? Well, because the the left has never been able to control the levers of power that they now do. Uh, It isn't that they haven't wanted to do this for a long time. They now have, through uh, the Democrat in the White House, Democrats' control of the House, and Democrats' control of the Congress, and in major leftist states like New York, they now have the ability to move these things from their wish, wish list to their do list. And that's precisely what they're going to do. They're going to expand this. It will be never-ending. Yeah, and, and that's the problem. And, and this idea of not being able to fly or something because of you don't have your, you know, your papers to show, I, I think it violates a little bit of the Constitution. I know the Constitution's old and it was written by racist white men, but um, I think we do have the right to travel freely between states. Uh, so, and the Supreme Court has said that. There is Supreme Court law that says that interstate travel is a right protected by the Constitution. They're just going to tell me to walk, though. I guess that that's what's going to happen here. Uh, if you want to check out the piece written by Bob Barr, Biden and Cuomo directing the drive for a 21st century COVID scarlet letter. It is in town hall. It is an excellent read. And I think you really nail it. So, Bob Barr, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Mary. You have a great weekend and a blessed Easter. Thank you so much. All right. We've got more coming up. So don't go anywhere right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And we need to make it clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life. 
And the window to do that is really narrowing. I mean, you were mentioning, Chris, about how all these states are reopening. They're reopening at 100 percent. And we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status. Because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? So that's why I think the CDC and the Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you're vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms that you have. Because otherwise, people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway. The horror was Dr. Lena Wen on CNN. Let's talk to another doctor, though. Let's talk to Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. She's a Fox News medical contributor, family emergency medicine doctor. You can find her at Dr. Jeanette on Twitter. Dr. Jeanette, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Mary. My pleasure. So you heard that there. You heard you hear this woman, uh, Lena Wen, on CNN. Uh, she's a public health professor at George Washington University. And what she's saying is that we should give more freedoms to people who have already been vaccinated. And I just think that that's a terrible message. Uh, that's just me. But let me let me start off by playing a little bit of a devil's advocate, because I know that for me, for my age and my comorbidities, my my chance of surviving COVID is 99.96%. And I look at that and I'm like, huh, those seem like pretty good odds. If you told me I'd win the lottery, if I had a 99.96% chance of, of winning the lottery, I probably would invest a good chunk of what I have in the lottery because the odds are pretty good. So somebody like me looks at this and I'm like, hmm, they seem to be pushing this whole vaccine thing a little too hard for me. And it makes me suspicious. Why is there such a push for a vaccine for COVID like this with that type of survivability for a vast majority of the population? Yeah, you know, safety is a priority. And I can understand that, you know, the fear that may come with some with vaccines and with reopening and the fear of having another lockdown. Um, I think vaccines should be encouraged. But again, it's, it's a choice. And I think knowing your risk and knowing that you can help towards what we call herd immunity, that we can open up a lot sooner. Um, where we're vaccinating about 3.3 million um, Americans daily. And on that, uh, with that pace, we could have most Americans, you know, by the summer, by early fall vaccinated. And, and that could maybe mean no more masks, no more physical distancing, no more 50% capacity versus 100% capacity. But at the same time, um, we're not animals. We don't need carrots dangled to encourage us to do something. I think it's just a matter of using common sense, doing what's best for yourself, knowing your risk, doing what's best for your neighbor, for your family, for your loved ones. We know historically that vaccines can make a huge difference, can save lives and are responsible for thousands of lives being saved every single year. Um, So it's not just COVID vaccine. It's just a million other vaccines, hepatitis, polio, measles, mumps, rubella. So um, it's important to encourage the vaccine, but we need to be smart about it in the way we campaign and educate the public about it. I, I And I know you see, you obviously see patients since you are a physician, Yes, uh, but I, I think, and this is my perception, so I want to hear about your perception, that we have scared a portion of our population so badly that they're never going to go back to life the way it was before COVID. They are so afraid that um, they're done. They're just done. Yeah, and and that's that's disheartening. I, I think it's it's 
wise to be concerned and to be proactive, but not to be scared. What what eliminates that fear is by educating yourself, being aware, and protecting yourself, and and realizing we really are at the home stretch. We've come a long way, you know, thanks to Operation Warp Speed. We've got three incredible vaccines out there that can bring us back to normalcy. I do think we're going to get there um, one day, and I think we should be hopeful and optimistic that we are getting there. I, I think hope. I hope by Fourth of July we'll all be able to celebrate. We'll have fireworks that we didn't have last year. And I'm hoping by Thanksgiving, by Christmas, we're going to be able to travel without restrictions. You know, right now the CDC says don't travel. Um, I think all those guidelines are going to be gone and um, updated um, the more that we get people vaccinated. Um, They do work. It is a choice, but it's just a matter of how we present it and um, the accessibility that we provide for patients, for, for Americans. Yeah, I, you know, I know they say we're not supposed to travel, but I did. And, um, yeah. you know, because, again, I, I'm not afraid. I have to live my life for for a virus right. that, you know, is 99.96% survivable for me. And I'm probably going to have, you know, just maybe bad flu symptoms. Okay, great. So we went out. We, we went skiing. We went out west skiing um, a month ago. And here we are. You could tell we played a game to see where the people were who were getting on the plane because we were out in Montana, which is doesn't have a doesn't have a statewide nice. mask mandate and stuff, yeah. and you could predict where these people were going to or coming from based on their attire. There were people who had on double masks and had face shields on face shields and double masks, yeah. which was insane. It looked like a welder's convention. They were all getting on a plane to Chicago. Right. Like it's almost predictable to see where these people are going and what their mindset is based on how, you know, doffed up they are with all of this protective gear. And here we are sitting there eating sandwiches and, you know, like, yes, I used hand sanitizer before I ate my sandwich, but I was, you know, I didn't have to lift up a shield and take two masks off in order to do it. Right, right. And and those people that were protecting themselves and, and going to extremes, those the fear that they have will be eliminated if we can get right now we have 56 million Americans um, who have received at least one dose. And if we can get that up, you know, where we reach 70 to 90 percent of Americans getting vaccinated, it'll probably help eliminate those fears and those worries. And we won't have to wear face shields and double masking anymore. But it's just a matter of hanging in there just a little bit longer, because I do think we're 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 really close. We're really close, but yeah. we don't want to see the number of cases increasing like we see now. There's about 66,000 cases a day, which is up about you know, 15, 20,000 from two, three weeks ago. And hopefully we won't see that number rising over the Easter. But um, the, the, the good well, thing is we've vaccinated most of those who are in the vulnerable population, most of those in their nursing homes and who are over the age of 65. So I don't think we're, we're going to see another lockdown in this country. We shouldn't see another lockdown. We just need to keep vaccinating and we're going to be okay. Yeah, I think, listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I think people who are vulnerable, people who are obese or overweight, over 80% of the people who are hospitalized are obese or overweight. Those people need to either lose weight or yes. they need to get vaccinated. People who are, who are elderly should be yeah. vaccinated. If you have a comorbidity like diabetes, you should be vaccinated. I have no problem with that. And I think that, that there are groups of people in this country who should be vaccinated. Vaccinated. At the same token, you talk about we don't how we don't want the numbers to go up, and I agree with you, and and because we want to see you know our freedoms return, but at the same time, 
to me, it's irresponsible that we are allowing people to cross our border and be, be dislodged into this country wherever they want to go. They're being spread all over the country who have never been tested, and some of them have tested positive. And we just say, well, wherever you, when you get wherever you're going, we just need you to, uh, to you know, just, just quarantine for a couple of days. It just doesn't make any sense to me as far as that goes, as far as keeping the numbers down. That, to me, seems to be irresponsible, and I would say it was irresponsible if the Trump administration was doing it. And I'm not a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, personal accountability and responsibility is, is critical, and we need consistency. Anyone that steps foot in this country, um, you know, if you're coming, for example, if you're immigrating from another country, even legally, guess what you're going to have done? You're going to have tuberculosis testing, HIV testing. You should have COVID testing. You need to, we need to make sure you're up to date with you, with your immunizations. Otherwise, you will bring disease in. Um, so that that is a good point that you make, and that's why, you know, it's important to be consistent and spread the message of, of awareness yes. and safety for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what? I have a, somebody just sent me a text. They have a question sure. for you. And then I have one. They want to know what about people who had COVID? Should they get vaccinated? That's a great question. And the answer is yes, but not right away. I would wait at least 90 days because you already have antibody protection, but that antibody protection um, will, won't last forever. Um, so I would say, yes, get your vaccine, but wait a few months. You don't need it right now. Okay, so so this idea that you would have natural immunity conferred upon you is not necessarily true by getting if you don't if you've had COVID. Yeah, you will have that natural immunity if you've had COVID. Your body will develop antibodies. Those antibodies can last anywhere from four to six months. I've, the longest uh, antibodies I've had with one of my patients lasted about nine months, nine and a half months. So I, I wouldn't wait more than six months after having okay. COVID to get your vaccine, but definitely get it, but not right away. So if you just were diagnosed with, with COVID two weeks ago, I would wait, you know, you know, you know, four to six months, uh, around four okay. to six months. The CDC says 90 days. Cool. All right. That's, that's good. So there's one answer. One more question. I'll, and then I'll let sure. you go. Um, there, a report has come out from uh, the People's Vaccine Alliance. They surveyed 77 what they call experts uh, from around the world, 28 countries. And they found that almost a third of them uh, gave a time frame of the of the effectiveness, the efficacy of the vaccine of nine months or less. They don't think that the vaccine, this current vaccine will still be um be able to fight COVID and protect you in less than a year because of the variants that are coming out, the mutations that are coming out. We hear about the Brazil mutation. There's one in New York, South Africa, UK. They're all over the place. And it makes sense that the virus is going to mutate in order to survive. Does this mean that we're going to constantly be in a state of heightened awareness and constantly having to be vaccinated? Well, it's like the flu shot. You get it once a year. But this is why it's it's important to vaccinate rapidly so that we don't give the virus an opportunity to mutate, so that we don't see these new variants arise. If we can quickly, quickly vaccinate everyone, then we can put a stop to it, and then maybe the vaccine will uh, will last even longer. But yes, like, for example, Pfizer just came out yesterday with a study that showed um, at least six months protection. Um, but for some people, it might be nine months or even a year. Everybody's immune system is different. So will we have to be vaccinated yearly like we do for the flu shot? Maybe. Um, there is uh, Moderna is working on a duo 
flu COVID vaccine, a two-in-one vaccine, um, that might be beneficial, especially we know so many uh, millions of Americans get their flu shot every year. So when they go get their flu shot, it'll have a COVID protection in it as well. But yeah, that's something that we need to look at um, maybe every once a year or every two years, we have to get a, a booster shot. Um, and it could be uh, it could be as convenient as combining it with other vaccines to just to protect yourself and maybe look at maybe just taking it, for example, during the winter months, like we do um, the flu shot where the cases tend to go up. Like remember last year, it was Christmas and New Year's that the, the, the rates went up sky high um, because of travel, because of the cold weather. Yeah. because of the social gathering. So maybe getting it around October, November of every year uh, might be a good thing. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you joining us here to, to make us smarter about all of this. Dr. Jeanette Neshwat, thank you. We appreciate thank it. Find you, her on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too. All right. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's... This I is really a... don't know what okay. the answer is. That's you don't know yes or no if the laptop was I don't have any yours. idea. I have no idea. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was the that it was Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. <laughs> I don't know. A friend gave it for, to, to me for to hold for him. I don't know who it is. It's not mine. Uh, that was Hunter Biden on CBS this morning. They're going to air the full interview with Hunter Biden on uh, Monday, April 5th and on CBS this morning. And then they're going to air the second part on Tuesday. Uh, excuse me. The first part on uh, CBS Sunday morning. Sorry, on April 4th. And then the second part will be CBS this morning on Monday. So they'll they'll pull, do the whole interview. So they just gave you like a little taste of it. And what I found so interesting about Hunter Biden and the laptop, he's like, well, I don't know. It could be mine. Like, but he went through the whole list and somebody could have stolen it. Well, the follow up question would be, well, did someone steal a laptop from you? Are you saying someone stole one of your laptops? And then Hunter Biden can just say, well, I don't know. I was in a drug addled haze, so I have no idea. You know, that that's his kind of like his out, his get out of jail free card is this kind of like, well, I don't know, could have been drugged up. You know, I got a problem. Uh, and, and that's how he gets out of all of this. But I thought it was so interesting when you said, I don't know if the laptop is mine. Because I'm like, okay, so you were cognizant enough. And, and listen, I understand addiction is terrible. I've, I, I have a family member who died from addiction. Okay, so so I get that it's a terrible, horrible thing. And some people just can never get over it. They just can't. And you could do everything. And, and it, the pull is too strong, whether it's alcohol or drugs, which for Hunter, I believe it was both. I think he had, uh, he had drug and alcohol addiction. And I, I just find it interesting that he says that he was, you know, he doesn't know. So he doesn't remember dropping the laptop off yet. The guy who runs that computer store, which by the way, is now out of business because he's been so targeted by the left. He, he said it was Hunter Biden who walked in. Like it was Hunter Biden. I would honestly, I've never met the man, but I think I would recognize him if he walked into my store, especially if I lived in Delaware and the family is very, very well known in Delaware. Joe Biden's been, you know, 
famously from uh, Delaware, Lunch Bucket Joe on his Amtrak rides all the time, right? So he doesn't remember dropping a laptop off, yet he had enough of his, his faculties about him to be able to recognize that the laptop needed to be fixed. And he had enough of his faculties to be able to find a store to fix his laptop and take it to the store and drop it off and sign the card, right? The, the receipt for it. He didn't remember to pick it up. Okay, things happen. But I would assume at that point in time, he had enough of his faculties to be able to do that. He also had enough of his faculties and had his problem under control enough to be able to serve on the board of Burisma, a huge company from whom he was making millions of dollars, millions of dollars from these people, right? So I would assume that he had enough of his faculties to be able to do that. Now, I could be wrong. He could have had a no-show job. That could have been what that was, and they were just putting money in his bank account, maybe. But that's not the story, right? So it's a very mixed message about when Hunter Biden's um, addiction hampers him and when it doesn't. Because I kind of think that the Biden family uses the whole hunters and addict as their get out of jail free card from uncomfortable conversations about Hunter Biden's actions in the past. And maybe currently, I don't know um, about but some of the things that he's done now. Currently, I think they've got him pretty tight under wraps, right? Like you're not going to see a lot of news coming out about Hunter Biden now that his father's president. But while his father was vice president, he was apparently freewheeling and using the the family connections uh, in order to to put money in his pocket. I understand that's a Washington, D.C. game. I'm not Pollyanna about this. However, I'm smart enough and awake enough to realize that if this were um, if this were Don Jr. who was doing it then you would you would see this all over the place. Here's a, here's a little bit, just a little flashback here for you from October of 2020 and what Joe Biden had to say about the laptop. Do you still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were Russian disinformation and smear campaign, like you said? Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You, you're a one-horse pony, I tell you. Thank you. Thank you. I promise you my Justice Department will be totally on its own making its judgments about how they should proceed. All right. So that was Peter Doocy yelling at him because he never, he didn't call on Peter. So Peter's like yelling at him and you heard him say, um, you know, do you think the story about um, Hunter's laptop uh, that was on 60 Minutes, they suggested it could be Russian disinformation. And you heard Hunter say that there. Well, I don't know. It could be Russian disinformation. Uh, And you heard Joe Biden say, yes, yes, yes. So that will air Sunday and Monday on CBS. I'm Mary Walter for Brian Kilmeade. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. No, it's not Brian. That guy's a liar. <laughs> it's Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> How you doing? I uh, hope you're having a great day. I have a lot of questions about legalities, about some of the things that have been passed in, in some of these bills under the guise of COVID and uh, the, this idea of a vaccine passport. So who do we go to? We go to the woman who knows it all, Shannon Bream, Fox News legal correspondent and anchor of Fox News at night at 11 o'clock. She also has a new book out that we're going to talk about, The Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Find her on Twitter at Shannon Bream. Shannon, good morning. Mary, it's always great to talk with you. 
Thank you for, for joining me today. So I would like to talk about some of those things that I said. I would like to talk about um, what, what's, what's in some of these bills. The COVID bill, for instance, the COVID relief bill, has relief for farmers, but based on their gender and the color of their skin, white male farmers need not apply. I thought that that was absolutely outrageous. I don't understand how that passes when it is clearly, in my view, unconstitutional, but I'm not a lawyer. Well, it's going to be one of many things I would predict that will be the subject of legal challenges. Um, We've seen a number of states getting together, suing over different parts of um, the COVID bill, the last $2 trillion one, approximately $2 trillion. Um, So I think a lot of these states are going to push back, and I wouldn't be surprised to see some private farming groups and others specifically take aim at that particular provision that you talk about. Um, Because, listen, there's so much in there. It's one of these behemoth bills that I think as it starts to um, go into effect, people are going to find more and more things that they want to question or that are objectionable. Um, so I would expect a lot of this is going to get tied up in court. Yeah, but, but what I don't understand, though, is how can they put some, these people are supposed to be lawmakers. I would think they may have read the Constitution, just parts mm-hmm. of it, or maybe they could break it up into groups and each group take a different part of the Constitution. It's clearly unconstitutional, isn't it? Well, I think you definitely have a strong argument to say that if you're awarding government funds on the basis of race or gender, that's a very strong legal challenge. Um, It shouldn't benefit any one race or gender. You shouldn't say that we're going to pay out these benefits to XYZ group, and that means that other groups can't even apply or have a chance at it. I think it's, you know, it sounds on its face like it's something that would be um, very much subject to a challenge. Uh, And then you get into the court system, and we find that our judges uh, sometimes see things differently. Um, So it'll depend on which court it lands into and how far it goes up the appeals ladder, too. No, it's you know, it's, I would assume it's going to have to go to the Supreme Court and then we'll be speaking with you again. <laughs> I will stand ready for you. OK, the, the other question that I have immediately jumps to my mind when it comes to legality are these vaccine passports. And they make it sound so nice. It's a passport, like a passport to adventure. So nice. And you're going to have all these freedoms once you get your vaccine passport. Uh, freedoms that I should have whether I have a vaccine passport or not. Is this something that would also pass the smell, the sniff test when it comes to the legal system? It's only a matter of time with this. Here's the thing, though. We hear the federal government and the Biden administration and others saying, hey, it's not going to be about us. It's going to be about private industry doing this. So when you don't have the government as the actor or the one saying you have to have this passport, I think it'll be trickier. But I definitely think you're going to see legal challenges. You know, people are going to ask questions about, you know, I should have a passport to go to the grocery store or to do regular daily items of life. I think that you're going to see the airlines try to get together on this and say, well, let's come to some kind of um, private industry understanding about this. So it won't be the government, I don't think, that would be enforcing or tracking this kind of thing. And that's going to make the challenge a little bit different if it's just private industry doing it. But I wouldn't be surprised um, to see private groups come together and say, if you want to come to this hotel or ride this airplane or come to this grocery store, we're going to need to see your card. So here's the thing about that. Um, the airline industry is is on life support, and they're being mm-hmm. being uh, being supported basically with my tax dollars. Mm-hmm. So then they're going to tell me that I can't fly on their airline because I don't want to show my papers because I'm not mm-hmm. a communist. And I would think that airlines, though, considering the level of service they give, 
is not in any position to be turning away any type of paying customer because there are people who will have their passports but are so afraid they're wearing uh, an, a, a, two masks, a, a face shield, and gloves. The last thing they're doing, even with a vaccine, is getting on an airplane. So it doesn't seem to me as if that type of, of um, weeding out of customers is going to stand, especially when it comes to the airlines. Well, think about this, too. I mean, the airlines are getting, I mean, billions of dollars in bailouts. They need it. I mean, what's happened in the last year where people couldn't even leave their homes, much less travel to Europe, um, they've been in a very bad place. But they've become very dependent on these government bailouts, uh, and they have to have them to survive, as you said. So if the government is hinting at, we want people to keep wearing masks after vaccination, we want this, we want that, those those airlines are going to do it because they, they need that money, and they need to be in good graces with the government. They need to be um, in good standing with the government. So whatever financial uh, losses that they have and, and propping up that they need, they're, they're going to get it. So, you know, if I feel like if there's this uh, conversation or narrative that you got to keep wearing masks or, you know, vaccine passports might be a good idea, I, I think the airlines are going to take that cue from the feds and say, well, we need to stay in their good graces and have this money to keep our employees uh, employed and keep our planes in the sky. So whatever the government hints at or says, we're going to totally be on board with that. What about the idea of I have the right, I believe it's in the Constitution, that I have the right to travel freely between states? Now, they could say, well, you don't have to fly. Well, that's true. Mm -hmm. But I also don't have to have Internet in my home. But the government has said that that's a right in order to be able to do my job, to be able, you know, that's a new form of communication. And so we should pay for that. Well, getting from state to state is, you know, a lot of times you have to take a plane in order to do it. It's a necessity now. It's not necessarily a privilege. It's almost become a right because I want to get from point A to point B and the government says I have the right to do that unimpeded. Yeah, and that conversation is starting to bubble up, this interstate commerce, this idea of like you're going to have to get in your car and drive 18 states away or can you make an argument that you're right, like that airlines and air travel have become part of the public sphere and and part of what people live day in and day out um, to live their lives. And I do think that's where you're going to get into the nitty-gritty about how willing are you to be inconvenienced to stand up for what you feel like is your right to avoid a vaccine passport? And I got to think that there are going to be lawsuits all over this because um, I think there'll be industries and groups and private companies that will say, listen, we're not telling you what you have to do in your life, but if you want to come in this store, we're going to need to see the vaccine passport. And you can inconvenience yourself if you want to drive the 18 states in your car. That's up to you. Um, I definitely think there's going to be pushback, though. Um, You know, it's interesting. I talk to people who I consider to be um, very conservative, uh, even libertarian, who say, listen, I'm just going to do it and get it over with. I'm going to get the vaccine. I'm going to get the passport just because I want my life back. And I think a lot of people are going to go that route. But I do think there's going to be a strong contingent that pushes back to say no, because even if I'm okay with this, and a lot of people aren't okay with, quote, this, um, where does it go from here? How far do I go in, in giving up personal freedoms so that I can just make my life easy and live my daily life? It's why you see Governor DeSantis down in Florida saying, no way, we're not going to allow these kinds of things here um, just for daily life opportunities that people have. Right. And and I also, you know, how, how do I know that the guy in the blue vest at Walmart, no offense to Walmart, I go there a lot, but how do I know that my medical information is safe with him. The the doctor's not allowed to give out my last name when I'm sitting in the waiting room at at the doctor's office. The the nurse who comes out has to just call your first name. But yet I'm supposed to give my vaccine history to the checker at Walmart? 
Yeah, I do think that people are going to have very good arguments on those grounds um, to talk about privacy. I do think, too, there are going to be a lot of people who are objecting to the vaccine on religious grounds. I think it's something like 45 states allow you to have some religious objection to vaccines and those kinds of mandates. So I think those cases are going to spring up everywhere. Um, And you're right. We hear so much about medical safety and security and privacy. But with everything getting digitized, there are growing concerns for people about their information being shared, being hacked, falling into the wrong hands. Um, I think you'll see all those arguments and the legal challenges that I think are certain to come. Yeah, it's it's I I just I just see a Pandora's box. I don't have to prove that I've been vaccinated against the measles in order to get on a plane. Yet the measles right. are really contagious, so I don't have to prove that. But yet I'm going to have to prove that I've gotten a vaccine for which my survivability is ninety nine point nine six percent. So yeah, I think that's the argument for a lot of folks. That you're right. We all have vaccines as kids against measles and mumps and all kinds of things. Um, But we've never as adults been asked to show that we've gotten the flu vaccine or anything else that those are also things that are deadly. Obviously, this virus has got so many unknowns and has taken such a toll on millions of lives around the globe. Um, And people are fearful. But I think that um, enacting policy in the midst of fear is uh, we can look back on some of the laws that we've passed in this country in the midst of fear don't always turn out to be the best decisions long term. And we have to take a breath. We have to think Think about constitutional protections. And I think the Supreme Court's honestly going to be very busy with cases related to the virus for the next couple of years. If they decide to take them. And they've punted right. a lot on cases that I thought they should have taken. We've talked about some of them. Uh, and uh, so who knows what the Supreme Court is going to do. They seem to be abdicating their their uh, their jobs here. I do want to speak about the women of the Bible speak, the women, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. This being Holy Week, uh, it's Passover and Easter this year. And I, I love when the two holidays mm-hmm. fall together on the same one, especially because it's always spring. We're, and this year especially, we're coming out of, of quarantine where a lot of us have, you know, have been in darkness for a long time. So, you know, it, it's it's to me very symbolic that, you know, we're coming out of darkness into the light around the time of Easter. This book, uh, I, I want to ask you about, about writing this book. What triggered you to write this book? You know, honestly, Fox came to me because they were starting a book label and said, we're thinking about doing something in this space about women, um, biblical stories, that kind of thing. And I was so excited. I said, yes, I don't need to know anything more. <laughs> and I'll do it. And um, this project just came together uh, very quickly. And we decided on a concept and studying these women in pairs. I mean, their stories alone are fascinating and inspirational, but we thought, let's look at them together. Some of them knew each other. You know, they were sisters, that kind of thing. Others lived in completely different times and centuries and situations, but we found common threads that, um, you know, gave encouragement, lessons of hope and inspiration. And uh, I was encouraged in the process of writing it in the midst of the pandemic and all of the pain of last year. So I really hope it'll bless other people in the same way. Yeah, and it's something that has not been explored, at least to my knowledge, in any kind of great detail before. And this is not just a book for Christians. There's there are a lot of Jewish, famous Jewish women who are mentioned in this book. Um, there, so it, it is really for everyone because so many of our religions are intertwined, especially regards to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So it, it is something for everyone. And if nothing else, it's just a super interesting read because it is historical. It does. You know, this is this is not just a religious book. This is a historical mm-hmm. book of women who have played an important role in history. So it's something for everybody. And I really love this. So if you want to check it out, it's Women of the Bible Speak, the Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. I'm so glad you wrote this, Shannon. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Mary. Always great to chat with you. And you have a blessed Easter. You too. Thank you. All right, coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show, Victor Davis Hansen wrote a very interesting piece about the radical new rules that we are living in in an era that he is calling post-America. We're going to explore those rules because I think that once again, he has nailed it. That's coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade, a talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. I have a phone number for you just for this hour, okay? 888 788 9910 just for this hour. I want to talk to you about a piece by Victor Davis Hanson. I want to get your opinion on it because I, I think he really nails this. It's called Radical New Rules for Post-America. And he said these are 10 new ideas that are changing America. It may change America permanently, but he says these are rules that most of Americans don't agree with but publicly they uh, go with because you kind of have to because of the woke mob and everybody's afraid of being targeted. And the woke mob is a small little mob of people that live in their parents' basements and have all the time in the world to be keyboard warriors. That's it. You know, mom drops them off so they can go riot in Portland and pick up a new TV for Christmas. And, and that's who these people are. They're not, they're bullies. They really truly are bullies. They're not actual fighters. Here's, here's what he says. Number one, money is a construct that it can just be created from thin air. This is the AOC school of economics, right? That annual deficits um, and national debt doesn't matter anymore. Uh, that our elites believe either permanent zero interest rates make the cascading obligation irrelevant or the larger the debt, the more likely we will be forced to address needed income redistribution. So in other words, this isn't happening by chance that the elites, the ruling elites, know full well what is happening here. And they know uh, full well that this will keep them as ruling elites, right? And because they never have to live by the laws that they put the rest of us under and that they can just redistribute our money. Uh, He talks about how laws are not necessarily binding anymore. This is really new within just the last couple of years. Joe Biden has willfully rendered federal immigration laws null and void. And we were talking, I was talking about this with a friend this morning that, you know, there's no benefit to being a citizen anymore, right? They, the people who come across the border illegally get more than American citizens do. There is more benefit to being here illegally breaking the law. You get rewarded. We're going to spend something like $83 billion on, or maybe it's million dollars, whatever at this point, doesn't matter whether it's an M, a B or a T it shouldn't be happening to put these people up in hotels. And a family of four is going to get enough money. It will cost the government, you, the taxpayers, enough money to basically buy them a house for what it's going to cost on a per night basis for a family of four and the amount of money they have allocated. Yet we have homeless vets. We have Americans who are homeless who are living in cars, living on the streets until every single American is housed that wants to be housed. We should be spending a dime on housing illegals. But that's the way it is now. That's the new woke system, the new rules, because it, it, when it comes to laws, we now look at whether someone's a carjacked, assault, you're shot. 
but we now say, well, it's the perpetrator's fault just as, you know, as, as much as, as the victim, because the victim could have been too lax, too uncaring and sensitive. You look at the tweet from the mayor of Washington, D.C., when that Pakistani immigrant, that poor man, was dragged and killed by the women, those two young girls who were stealing his car. They tased him. They dragged him. They killed him. The vehicle overturned. This man was killed. And the mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, tweets out about, remember, don't leave your cars idling as if it was his fault. But that's the new America, according to Victor Davis Hanson, that we are living in. That the, the laws are mutable. And it, how useful the crime is to the larger agenda of the left determines whether a victim really is a victim and the victim really is a victimizer. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, it could all be changed around. And a lot of it has to do with the color of the person's skin. Racialism is now accepted. We are defined first by our ethnic or religious group. Secondly, as all being Americans. It's okay now. There's a type of good racism now. If you're excluding a white person from some kind of federal benefit, that is somehow noble. That form of racism is noble. Falsely being called a racist makes one more guilty than falsely calling someone else a racist. So I want to know what you think about these rules. And if you see this happening, if he is absolutely right that we accept this, is there another choice to not accept it? Get your calls coming up here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fact that this keeps happening over and over and over again is a political failure by both parties. What is happening here is not the same as what happened during the Trump administration, where they took babies out of the arms of their mothers, those families are owed reparations. Ah, yes. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that scholar of of American history and of the Constitution uh, that she knows so well, it plays right into that these people are dude reparation. They are dude. Oh, dear Lord. They are due uh, reparations uh, because they, their children were ripped out of their arms. Granted, they were breaking into the country and entering illegally. And I have news for you. If a parent commits a crime in this country, guess what? Their children are ripped out of their arms as mom and or dad go off to the, the pokey, right? We incarcerate Americans all the time and their families are separated because mom or dad has broken the law. But for some reason, we have this idea, and this is the fourth thing on Victor David Hansen's Radical Rules for Post-America. The immigrant is preferable to the citizen. Most citizens currently must follow quarantine rules, social distancing, stay at a school, obey all the laws. But if you come into the United States illegally, you don't have to follow the rules. You, you don't have to follow COVID. Your children are immediately schooled without worry of quarantine. Immigrants don't have to worry about their illegal entry or residence in America. Um, th- we've decided that we need a new America because the old America is racist. Because it was founded by white men, it's racist. So now it's got to be founded by people of color. And it has to be changed for this new post-America. 888-788-9910 is the number. That's 888-788-9910. It's not the normal number. It's a new number for this hour that, uh, that we're using here on the Brian Kilmeade show. You know, we just want to see if you're paying attention 
So that's why we, we went with a new number, 888-788. So that's easy to remember, 9910. Are we accepting rules in this country that normally in another time, five years ago, three years ago, we never would have accepted? You did not see a mass hue and cry when the COVID stimulus bill contained a provision. It contained relief for farmers, but only a fa- minority Farmers, only farmers of color, whitey, need not apply. You ain't getting anything based on the color of your skin. And it doesn't matter whether those farmers needed anything. We just assume in this country, this soft racism, that if you're of color, you can't get by without the government helping you. That's racist. That's just assuming that based on the color of your skin, you are less than. But that's pretty much what Democrats do, and they've been doing it since the beginning, you know, before the the uh, Civil War, which is why we had a Civil War, right? So Democrats have been doing this for a really long time, over 100 years. They've been assuming that based on the color of their skin, that African Americans can't do anything in this country without the help of the government. They are less than. They're not as smart as white people. And so we have this acceptance of racialism that we, we judge you now based on the color of your skin first— And we've now accepted racism, flat out racism against white people and sometimes Asians look at Harvard University and some of our higher institutions of learning or institutions of higher learning uh, that it's okay to discriminate against Asians because they're smarter than everybody else. So we have to, we have to keep them out of Harvard and Yale and some of these other schools when it comes to admissions. And we have to bring in more people who can't make it on their own, you know, the African American community, because they're just not as smart. It's racist to have those, those opinions and those policies when it comes to this country, but yet we're accepting it. And this is the new post-America, according to Victor Davis Hansen, and I think he's nailed it. 888-788-9910. Jennifer calling from Daytona Beach. Jennifer, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing just great. So what do you think? Is Victor Davis Hansen right here? Yes, and, and I, I want to go back. I'm, I'm actually going back a little bit about the vaccination card. Sure, that plays into this. Okay. Um, I find it really interesting that if you lose your card, there's no replacement. So now what do they expect people to do that are getting vaccinated with a card that they can't get replaced if it's lost or stolen? It, it's so interesting because it, 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 if your Social Security number can be stolen, which I think every single person within who listening right now has had their identity stolen. We all have had our identity stolen, right? And our Social Security number, when it first came in, it was supposed to be only used for social security, nothing else. That's all it was supposed to be used for. Then suddenly it's tied to my, my health care. So when you go into the hospital now, a lot of them, um, I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know if they still do it, but when I was in the hospital once they had my social security numbers, my patient ID. And I told them I refused to have that on my, my, my patient ID. Right. And they was like, well, that's what we do. I'm like, well then make another one up. Because I don't want my social security number on my wrist for anybody to see who happens to be, you know, dealing with me or checking my wristband. When I was growing up, my father had an envelope and he gave it to me and he said, now, this is really, really important. Do not share this. Do not lose this. This is your identity. And he gave me my social security number with a lecture of how important that was to keep that confidential and private. Yeah. Absolutely. But yet you're supposed to present your papers to the guy in in the convenience store or wherever it happens to be that we're going to have to present our papers in order for the privilege of being able to buy food. And we're supposed to trust them 
with with that information. That just flies, I think, in the face of every HIPAA law out there. Exactly. And how are they going to control when people do lose their vaccination cards or can't misplace it? And they say, sorry for your luck. What, you got to go get vaccinated again? Yeah, absolutely. You bring up great points, Jennifer. And and I'll leave you with this and then I'm going to move on here, but I'll leave you with this. We're supposed to believe that the African-American community is too poor and incapable of carrying around an ID in order to vote. So are we supposed to believe that they're capable of obtaining this vaccination card and maintaining it and carrying it around in order to go buy food? Exactly. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's totally hypocritical. Jennifer, have a fantastic weekend. And thank you for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's go to Florida. Let's Well, we'll stay in Florida and talk to Brenda. Hi, Brenda. Hi. Nice to talk to you. Well, I'm glad you're joining me. So what do you think about this, this this, uh, post-America where, you know, racism is now acceptable as long as you're being racist against white people? That's fine. We just call that Tuesday. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And I'm listening about the fact that they're wanting to destroy roads that are now considered racist. Yes. Um, Like, yeah, like we have Dixie Highway here in in Lakeland. so we also have Martin Luther King Boulevard. Do we need to destroy it as well? Well, here's the thing. What's not getting across is they want to destroy this road in this highway in New Orleans that they say is racist, not because of the name. <laughs> they want to destroy it. They want it to dismantle because it was built through poor neighborhoods because right. – because let's face it, we tend to put our roads, we're not going to drive, we're not going to put a highway through the middle of Beverly Hills. That's not going to happen. And we all know that's not going to happen. And it doesn't make any sense to do that. Why would you destroy a vibrant community? We tend to put these in, in these places that are poor income. That's where these roads are going to go. Not saying it's right or wrong. I do understand that it makes sense, especially for people who need to get to work or something like that. These poor communities in cities like New Orleans, that's where these roads were put in the past. Now, I think we try to put them in other areas. We try to maybe take them outside of the cities and then bring them in through a short section of town. So you're going to tear the roadway down and try to build a new one. Do you know what it's like to try to build anything with EPA regulations and how many years it takes to get like permits and things like that? Cause they find spotted toads and, and worms that are endangered and all this other stuff. It doesn't make any sense. More money. <laughs> That could be used in those poor communities to help them. Thank you. Thank you. But you're not, you see, here's the thing is you're thinking, you're not feeling what's right. You're actually thinking what would be the right thing to do here. And and that's why there's such a disconnect, I think, between the left and the right. And I'm not, and I feel badly and I'm trying not to mock the left. I'm not trying to come across that way, but they feel they're so emotion based that they feel something is right. And if you, you challenge that with facts like yours or your argument, they get very defensive because you're challenging what they believe, what they, you're challenging their beliefs and you can't challenge or argue someone's beliefs. It doesn't go anywhere. Brenda, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade show. I'll get more of your calls coming up. 888-788-9910. 888-788-9910. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. 888 788 
9910. I highly recommend you look up Victor Davis Hansen's latest piece called Radical New Rules for Post-America, because I think he really nails this. Just a couple more real quickly. He says that the government feels that most Americans should be treated as we would treat little children. They can't be asked to provide an ID to vote. These are noble lies told by our elites about COVID-19 rules are necessary to protect Neanderthals from themselves. He also says one of the other rules, and he also says that these are rules that Americans would never condone. But for whatever reason, we have now come to just tacitly accept this. Hypocrisy is passe. Virtue signaling is alive. The elite need these exemptions to help the helpless. It's, it's, it is what you say to lesser others about how to live, not how you yourself that lives that matters. Think of Pete Buttigieg climbing out of a big black SUV, I guess it was yesterday, uh, and, and getting on his bicycle to bicycle a short distance to wherever he was going with two big black SUVs following him. It doesn't matter. He's like, who was it? Rosie Ruiz, who ran into the New York City Marathon back in like the 70s, I think it was. And she ran in with like a mile to go and won. You're like, wait, where did this woman come from? Right? She didn't run the beach. It's just only what matters when you cross the finish line. It only matters that people see people to judge arrive on a bicycle, right? Uh, ignoring or perpetuating homelessness is preferable to ending it because you'd have to uh, mandate hospitalization for the mentally ill. Uh, McCarthyism is good. Destroying lives and careers for incorrect thoughts saves lives and careers. Um, Americans now know that if they say one wrong word, do one wrong thing, that they are they could lose their jobs or their livelihood. And that keeps you in line and it makes you say the right things. Ignorance is preferable to knowledge. He references the 1619 project. It's that we've gotten to the point where degrees reflect credentials, not knowledge. And lastly, he says wokeness is the new religion growing faster and larger than Christianity himself. And I'm curious to find out if you agree with him, because I do. Uh, Jordan in Vermont, how are you? You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, how are we doing this morning? I'm doing just fine. So what do you think about what he's saying here? Have we as Americans just begun to tacitly accept this and maybe don't even realize we're accepting it? We've we've come to a point where we've accepted what we used to think of as disgusting. I mean, I, I am... I'm a multi-tour combat vet, and I am appalled in the fact that there's hundreds of thousands of homeless veterans right now yes. that are hunting for the place that they're going to sleep tonight. Meanwhile, we've got the borders open, allowing people to come in and get a hotel room. Yep. Hotel room. Not a tent. Not a, hey, thanks for coming. Come over here and get in line. Here, come in this bus, and we'll take you to a hotel. Meanwhile, there's veterans that are outside sleeping in the elements that don't know where they're going to eat. Yeah, it is such a sin when I heard this. I, I just think it is such a sin that that our vets and I I firmly believe it. I said it before and I'll say it again. As long as long as we have homeless Americans, vets or otherwise, that are are homeless and they want housing and they want to be out of the elements and they want better for their children, they should come first. But as Victor Davis Hansen says here, the immigrant is preferable to the citizen at this point in the game because they want to rebuild America. Because America is evil now, It'll, and, and because it has been founded by white men, and white men are the worst type of people you can possibly be right now in the eyes of the left, which is really sad. It's Colors, really sad. As Americans, we've now put on this mask of let's pretend to look like we're all good and all, all holier than now, when inside we're the same country that we've been for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
And this is something, Jordan, thank you for your service and thank you for your call. I think you've made, just made some fantastic points here. Have a great weekend. Here's the thing is, is that it's all about appearance for them. That's what it's about. But I think that Americans and those who have traditionally, groups that have traditionally voted Democrat, think of the African-American community, think of Latinos, those people who have integrated into American society, right, who are not dependent on the government, who work, who maybe own small businesses, are waking up and going, wait a minute, I've been voting Democrat for 50 years. Maybe it's time to try something different. What did Donald Trump say to them? You've been doing the same thing forever. Why not give something else a chance? And you saw more of those groups vote for Donald Trump in 2020. And I think this is a turning point for Republicans if they play it right or if they actually play it all. Uh, Eddie in Virginia, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Eddie. Yes. Yes. Good morning. How are you? I, I have to tell you, everything you just said is so spot on. You touched my heart. You just you just nailed it. Everything that came out of your mouth is wonderful. And I thank you for that. And if I may, to stay on the subject, I understand. I just want to make one comment, if I may, first. Today is Good Friday. For the first time at the White House, uh, Pelosi and, and Biden does not allow the ministers to say their prayers in front of the White House. I don't understand that. Obviously, they're, they're just like for, for Christianity. It's showing a, a cardinal in New York refused to give uh, communion to Ms. Pelosi and um, for Biden, a Catholic priest told him, you're not a Catholic because you believe in a late-term abortion. I just had to comment, and I'd like to just say I'm a Vietnam veteran. I spent a couple of years in intense combat. I, I respect what the gentleman was saying there, but I'm afraid in some ways we're not the same country. I've lived around the world for military and DOD. This is not the same, and I think we're losing our identity and certainly part of it uh, at the fault of the people that are trying to destroy our country. We let over a million people into our country a year, hardly a racist country, and we do so much for minorities. But the one thing people often forget, although the politicians use it to race card as a political tool, I say we're all one. We are the human race. God made everybody, regardless yes. of color, we're the human race. A- Amen. And, and especially on, on this Good Friday. What a wonderful message. Thank you so much, Eddie. Uh, God bless you. Have a wonderful, blessed Easter. And I just want to explain, and thank you for your service, by the way, as well. And I don't say that hollowly. It's not just something that I say. I truly mean it. I have friends who serve. I have a friend who just came back from serving in, in Iraq. And so the military means the world to me because I don't, I don't have the guts to do it. So I'm so grateful for those who do. Uh, what he's talking about is there, and it was a lawsuit over it, a Christian minister sued on Nancy Pelosi, uh, Kamala Harris, and uh, the state's the Senate Sergeant at Arms and the U.S. Capitol Police Board because he has always held a service on the steps of the Capitol, and he's denied this year because you know it's for it's the Pelosi Palace right now, it's Fort Pelosi right now because walls work for them but not for you, and protection that carries those evil, horrible assault weapons is for them but not for you. And he ha- he sued them because they denied him the right to have the service on the steps and pray for this country the way he has done uh, the last several years. And that's what Eddie was referring to there. Uh, let's quickly go, David, in San Diego. Less than one minute. Hi. Morning. How are you doing today? Doing great. We've got less than one minute. What do you think about okay. this post-America here? I think, it, you know, they're using the race card to further divide this country to uh, implement their agenda. And uh, 
it's unfair and it's it's pretty sad that they're taking care of other people instead of taking care of us first. It is really sad, but we're allowing it to happen. And look at who the majority of Americans put into office, right? So we're voting for it. Sometimes we don't get the government we want. We get the government we deserve. And maybe this is the government we deserve. Thank you so much, David. Have a great weekend. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.